Whereas banks once tended to give fintechs the side eye, now they're increasingly looking at them as potential business partners. This week, we speak with Randy Rivera, ex-banker now on the fintech side, about benefits and challenges of bank fintech partnerships. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. The Venn overlap between banks and fintechs is getting bigger as industry trends push each to look more like the other. With us to talk about where those trends are going and the opportunities they may present is Randy Rivera. He's a former banker and now executive director of fintechs, which promotes fintech innovation in the Midwest. Randy, welcome to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. Thanks, Terry. Pleasure to be here and looking very much forward to this good conversation that we've teed up today. So, Randy, banks used to view fintechs as rivals, uh, you know, out to swipe their cheese. But in recent years, it looks like that perspective is changing. So as a former banker yourself, now in the fintech world, how would you characterize the relationship between the two sides? There's just a lot more openness across both sides for the opportunity to work together where there's overlapping uh, interests and goals. And I think a lot of that's driven by a lot of dynamics that are going on in the market. Some of it is technology related. We've seen strides across various level of sub-industries within fintech and what technology can do that it's requiring people to just evaluate whether or not the approaches that they're using are the, the right ones. I think one of the biggest factors, and we saw this last year, was COVID really pushed a lot of companies to accept digital transformation and the digital experience for customers to be something that every company needs a strategy for and a plan for. For fintechs and companies and individuals focused on disrupting and innovation, it simply validated the business case for the need to really take a more consumer-centric approach towards creation of products and the evolution of products and solutions for customers. So that I think has necessitated change between the two sides. And it's across the board, whether it be a large money center bank or um, a regional community bank, everyone has realized that there's more to win from collaboration and partnership than there is from the traditional holding the wall and um, resisting the change. This trend in the industry toward more room to work for mutual benefit, how would you make the basic case in the U.S. for why that's an important evolution from both the fintech side and from the financial institution side? The basic case for the U.S. is, number one, our customer base is a very sophisticated customer base with an, a willingness and, and a desire for the use of technology to make their lives easier. That makes that customer not only a good customer to sell to, but more importantly, it makes the value of that customer over their lifetime a much better business case for companies to make a case to go after it. So that's why you're seeing large banks that like JP Morgan being very vocal and, and Goldman Sachs being very vocal about wanting to own the American customer is because it's a profitable customer that understands how to use cutting edge new solutions, but they also don't mind paying for it and they have the pockets to do that. So in my opinion, that's what continue to motivate and, and, and push the larger institutions. Community banks are still critical to the banking ecosystem, but all of them are very motivated and incented right now to pursue that U.S. customer versus looking abroad for international acquisitions. I think in part, there's a lot of technology evolving outside of the United States and a lot of activity 
but the American consumer has not been tapped out yet. And it's still very lucrative for whoever gets to have them as an ultimate customer. So how would you characterize the maturity level of the fintech space on the whole? Let's put it in people terms. I would guess fintech is no longer an unsteady toddler, sort of toddling along. But should we look at it as being, say, a teenager trying to figure out what it wants to do with its life? or an ambitious young adult full of energy and drive, or maybe is it or parts of it slipping into middle age? I would say that probably technically we're probably in uh, teenage years or preteen. You wanted to be go back and look at when some of the real disruptions started happening. And there's a lot of teenage angst, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of uh, some of these companies, how they're evolving and growing. And I think in part, if you want to continue with that analogy, the incumbents feel like parents or grandparents depending on where you're sitting. And so it's an interesting analogy because what's starting to happen is that the incumbents are realizing that they can no longer ignore these these entities and the, this, this movement. So I think that that's good because they're starting to finally communicate and emphasize the importance of communication with each other and building bridges. And I think that, again, I don't want to take this analogy too far, but that's what happens when a teenager becomes an adult. You, you know, the parent and child relationship changes. and with things as simple as executives switching over to go work on fintechs because they feel that that's where their work is going to be more impactful, even from a financial perspective, a lot more incentive to put those extra hours in. It becomes really hard to treat someone as not a peer when you're sitting around the same table a year or two ago or four years ago. Because the compression across the banks, this is one of the things that I think will continue to drive relationships and partnerships, is that the margins across the business on the banking side have been really input to the test. Maybe you can argue that we'll see higher interest rates and that'll help change the, the math on that side, but you can't change the math on the fact that people like using Venmo versus ACH. You can't argue the fact that credit card companies are starting to see a lot of pressure from payments companies who are trying to cut them out of the transaction fees, which banks were very lucky to be able to tap into into the revenue source. You mentioned bankers crossing over. I know a number of highly placed bankers have uh, joined fintechs in recent years. They've made that transition just as you have yourself. How much is having that banker's mentality, that banker's experience and perspective on the fintech side, how much is that contributing to the growing partnership mentality? I think it's accelerating a lot of it. And for one very basic reason, relationships matter. And so those relationships matter because it's not somebody who doesn't speak your language trying to explain to you what the product or solution does. It's someone that actually sat in your chair or can understand the pressure you're under as an executive. You're going to see a cultural change at the senior levels at banking institutions that has been difficult to accomplish to date because there has been an aversion to a resistance to all the change that the industry is going through. I think this is great for the environment and the ecosystem and the dialogue. Because what historically has been these pesty little fintechs just carving out our margins or uh, distracting our consumer with another product that they seem to like more. If the conversation goes from that to, so what else did you learn when you left? And what other tools are you using? And how can we use that to better manage our business? And I think that's great. I honestly do. That kind of environment tends to create a lot more openness towards career mobility, which I think is critical given the generational change that's occurring amongst our workforce. So if I'm an executive and I can do a tour of duty going to be the head of product at a fintech for three to four years until we either sell or we get big enough or we get our IPO, and then I can come back and work at banking and it's not looked down upon anymore, 
that's what's happening right now in terms of the experiences that are occurring by some of these bankers that you mentioned that are crossed over. They're filling out experience sets, which will inevitably change the dynamic of the industry. Even when there's a recognition of benefits and, and a desire to partner, sometimes there are obstacles or integration issues, right? So what are some of the areas in banking, be it customer facing or behind the walls, where banks and fintechs are having a harder time finding that good fit? The regulatory environment is not friendly towards inviting a lot of change unless it absolutely works. And so I think that is one of the challenges you're seeing in a lot of these partnerships is, yeah, the idea seems to work and it could work for that customer set. And you've created a situation where you can deliver that product in a regulatory friendly way. But then the next question is, how do we put it on our platform in a way that we can be confident it will work all the time? That's one of the challenges that the partnership environment will face is we really do need to have an environment where fintechs and banks sit on the same side of the table trying to engage regulators and the people designing the laws around uh, financial services so that we can encourage that innovation. And I think one of the good examples is open banking is a very big um, challenge in the states, whereas abroad, it's a lot of the different regulatory environments have been a lot more comfortable creating a setting where that partnership can be explored. It's going to be a continuous challenge for the partnership dynamic between incumbents and fintechs because incumbents don't have the regulatory wiggle room to make those mistakes. And fintechs can experiment with much larger populations for customers and be able to see if their idea works. That bridge is really tough to build. Banks in the past few years have stepped up their acquisition of fintech companies. JP Morgan has been notably aggressive on this front. They've bought up three fintechs in the past year or so, the latest coming just a few weeks ago. What do you think is driving this trend and where do you see it going? So here's what I think is really going to be interesting to watch over the next several years. I spent 17 years in financial services and I was in banking during the financial crisis. So consolidation is not something that I'm surprised by with the banking industry. The reality is that M&A has taken a different turn today. And where I think is going to continue to happen in terms of M&A is number one, Full acquisition of a fintech when an idea has been tried and true and the executive team is strong and the platform has been validated through partnership, it's going to continue to occur just because of the natural limitations, again, of technology budgets that we have. So it's a lot easier to go buy a company that's doing well than to try to build it from scratch. It's also happening in other industries, not just fintech. You're seeing a lot of a lot of the fintechs, they, they see the, the road to IPO as, as a way to creating exit strategies. The banks really, I think, would prefer to have that be part of their infrastructure and control more because the reality is that a partnership is not full control. And so as the industry continues to consolidate, you're also going to see a lot more of exit strategies of founders being, okay, we know we have this partnership with this bank, it's working, and we know they can't build what we deliver for them. That's probably our best out. I think the trend is going to be continued acquisition, continued consolidation. Incumbents are going to prefer the route of acquisition. The question and the challenge is going to be, can you acquire and change? If you do make this acquisition of a company, will you be able to retain the benefits of that culture of that company, the way that company thinks, the innovative approach, and the talent, which ultimately drives all of that? If you can, then you're winning in the long run. If you can't, it's good for the fintech and tough for the incumbents. It's a lot of money that's going to be spent. Within tech overall, I mean, you have a lot of companies that are look ahead and they see themselves heading into an IPO. But there's a lot of others who take the approach that we're just going to build this up 
to the point where we become attractive as a takeout target. How big of an exit strategy is this within the fintech world to become a takeout target, either being taken out by a bank or being taken out by a bigger fintech? The idea of building out a business so that you can eventually IPO, that's a long road. So one thing that has complicated the, my answer to this question is the um, the number of SPACs that have been created lately, because SPACs are a very different process than an IPO and frankly give these fintechs a very different exit strategy that may be much more attractive depending on the kind of company you own. Ultimately, this is purpose of building a company. You do want to solve a problem, but when you're going out and raising capital is you're looking for investor return. And I think what the founder's responsibility is, how do they maximize that return? Every situation is going to be different because of timing, the team opportunity, and the environment that they're in. But you have to map out the exit some sort of way to the investors when you're doing some of these larger rounds to fund the growth that you've experienced. Historically, I would have said big banks are more conservative and they don't, wouldn't want to put up the dollars. But the reality is that if these companies continue to IPO and grow and get even more resources by way of public markets or other funding, they're going to really put creating a competitive problem and pressure on banks. So I see that as the exit strategy. We have to map out several potential scenarios, but being bought by an incumbent is not a bad one because the incumbents generally are they're talking to the same investment bankers that are pitching these companies and they understand that the market's really hot right now. The banking industry is flirting with blockchain. It has for several years now. Where are the fintechs in terms of developing products or services that try to harness the blockchain? Uh, there's a lot of activity. In Chicago, we have a ton of activity on the blockchain side. And around the world, I know that this is a very, very hot topic. Now that there's this much capital being infused into the specific vertical of fintech, what I anticipate is that you're going to see a lot more executives from financial institutions who can provide real value in terms of how to make the tools and the ideas much more practical, much more approachable. You're going to see companies and markets created to do the plumbing. I mean, you've seen it by way of just even just the exchanges that have been that have come up in the last several years for these various cryptocurrencies. So the infrastructure is going to start building out. I think that that's where there's going to be a lot of growth in the crypto spaces now. And the blockchain space is really around the infrastructure to continue to give people the ability to use other technologies that are available to them. For those that thought that blockchain was a, a fancy word that would lose cachet, I think that unfortunately they've been proven that that's not the case. When you hear about governments around the world evaluating the use of blockchains for some of their very critical tasks they used to operate, give the space some credit and a lot of respect for how valuable what they've created has been. So while the blockchain builds out its infrastructure, gets ready for perhaps widespread use in the future, what do you see closer as big opportunities arising for the fintech industry, not just in Chicago, not just in the U.S., but perhaps globally as well? And broadly speaking, how do you think opportunities for fintechs and banks to partner will evolve going forward? I would say what I'm most excited about down the road is what I can't imagine right now, like what I don't know, because as you have these partnerships evolving and trust being built, there's going to be a lot more experimentation, not in the scary way that would scare the regulators, but I think in the healthy way where people are going to say, man, this is pretty interesting. Do you think that we could and fill in the blank? Somebody on the other end of the table said, we probably could do that for you if you want to partner with us. And so we started this whole conversation around where the partnerships like environment is today from banks and fintechs. There's a lot more spirit of collaboration than competition. It's necessitated by the changing dynamics of the consumer, changing dynamics of expectations of the consumer and the opportunities that technology presents itself. 
When it comes to specifically blockchain, I think it's a further example of waters unchartered that we can look forward to learning more about what happens in the spirit of collaboration versus contention or competition. Of course, the more consumers engage with other businesses offering advanced and easy-to-use technology, the more they're going to demand the same from their financial institutions. So Randy Rivera, Executive Director at Fintechs in Chicago, many thanks again for joining us on the Banking Strategies podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Terry, for having me. A few takeaways from our conversation about bank fintech partnerships with Randy Rivera from Fintechs. First, he says the same force pushing banks and credit unions toward accelerated digital banking is also pushing financial institutions and fintechs toward deeper relationships aimed at benefiting customers. That irresistible force, of course, is the COVID-19 pandemic. Whether we're talking about a huge money center bank or a tiny footprint credit union, there's a growing realization that the surest way to thrive is through more collaboration. A big part of what's facilitating greater collaboration is an upswing in bankers crossing over to work at fintechs. These bankers bring inside knowledge of banking operations that fintechs can benefit from, and perhaps even more importantly, many of them bring valuable personal relationships that can help with deal-making. Some of these crossovers later return to the banking side, which further blurs the lines and encourages more fintech acceptance. And finally, one of the bigger challenges that Randy sees is on the compliance and regulatory side. He says those risk-focused gatekeepers within banks may have concerns about adopting what they see as unproven technology from newer fintechs, yet without adoption, it's difficult for those same fintechs to prove that a given product works. He suggests banks and fintechs work together to engage the regulatory side and create better pathways to spur innovation. Thank you for listening to the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. Please come back next week for another conversation on an important topic for the financial services industry.